All right. Now that that fun's done, now let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray and let's uh, just come before the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for this amazing opportunity to celebrate together, to celebrate with you, and to celebrate what you've done in our lives. Father, we pray a special blessing upon our dads that are in the house this morning. And Father, we pray, Lord, that they would feel loved, they would feel appreciated, and that their families would give them a free golf game at Smuggler's Glen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, sorry, Lord. Sorry, that was, again, being selfish. And so, Lord, I just pray a blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just kind of threw that part in there. I'm sorry it slipped. Um, if any other women get their men uh, a golf uh, green feed at Smuggler's Glen, they can join me and we'll have fun. All right. Okay. Well, I want to start with some rather depressing statistics, but I guarantee you from after the depressing statistics, it's, the message is only going to get better. So it's good. All right. Are you ready for this? I'm going to talk about the fatherless generation for a second. In some ways we could even talk about fathers because what we saw this past week was a young man who decided to take the life of nine people in Charleston, South Carolina. And the one stat that kept coming out over and over and over again, one fact was that the gun that he used was a gift from his dad. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's, a great, that's a great legacy to leave for your kids, right? Hey, we gave you a gun. I tell you, it's, it's incredibly upsetting to see that kind of stuff. But we live in a father's generation. I'm just going to read off a ton of statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Five times the average. 90% of all homeless children are from fatherless homes. 32 times the average. 85% of all children with behavior disorders are from fatherless homes. 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems are from fatherless homes. Nine times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. Nine times the average. 70% of youth and mental health institutions are from fatherless homes. Nine times the average. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. 43% of children live without their biological father. 71% of pregnant teens are from fatherless homes. And 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. Thud. A couple months ago... um, we were at worship practice on Thursday night. For those that just want an extra special taste of what happens on Sunday morning, and if you want to come out Thursday night at 8 o'clock and just sit there and worship God with us, you're free to do that. We have some of the most incredible times together at worship. But one night we came, and one of the things that we do as a team is usually someone from the team comes and just brings a short little devotional or a short little thought about, about uh, worship or about something that maybe is related to what the team is going through. And Uh, I did this a couple of months ago, and I I came in, and I got the whiteboard out, and I put on the whiteboard, what is a win? What's a win for Sunday morning for the worship team? And, of course, the answers that came were phenomenal. They were well thought out. They were, like, really amazing answers. If I can say this morning, um, for you dads, for you men, what's a win for your life? I just read a whole bunch of statistics that proved what a loss was. So what's a win for you? 
If you could define what a win is, what would it be? And obviously, sometimes we say the quick kind of answer is like, well, a win is, you know, if I can provide for my family. A win is if I can, and you can fill in the blank. A win is, a win is, a win is. Well, I, I want to share this morning um, very briefly. I'm not going to spend a ton of time today, but I, I want to talk this morning about what a win is for your life. Most of us love sports. Most of us have an addiction to sports. Um, <laughs> We understand in the context of hockey or baseball or basketball that a win is when you get more goals, more points, more baskets than another team. We understand in long jump that a win is if you jump longer than the next person. We understand that in high jump, you have to jump higher. In other words, the win is the person who's jumped the highest. But far too often, we get incredibly confused and mixed messages about what a win is in life. So what I want you all to think about today, not just dads, not just men, but what I want all of you to think today is what is a win for your life? If you could get to the end of your life, fast forward to the end of your life and look back and say, what is a win? If I can say it like this, if you were, if you were a fly on the wall at your funeral and everyone's talking about you, what do you want them to say? What do you want them to say? As I was thinking about this, I really kind of landed with this one little passage of Scripture. And to me, I'm just going to, if it's okay this morning, I'm actually just going to read a verse and talk about it. I'm going to just share some insight into what I believe God will want to give us this morning about what is a win for our life. And I'm going to take it from a passage in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. And it literally talks about the faith of Abraham, who the Bible talks about as being the father of our faith, the father of faith. In other words, it's saying that he is the the person that has been in charge and has lived out the concept of faith every single day of their life. And I'm going to just, as I said, read through this. I hope you get something out of this, but I want to just drop little nuggets of truth, especially for you fathers that are in this place today. I'm hoping that these little nuggets that I drop in this morning from these passages will help you to redefine, or maybe for the first time, define what a win is for your life. Okay? Are we good? So Romans chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his own obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. I love this first little part. It says, Clearly, God's promise. Clearly, God's promise. I want to ask you this morning, how clear is God's promise in your life? How clear is his promise in your life? When you think about the things of God and you think about what it is that you're pursuing, if I can say it like this, what the prize is, what the goal is for your life, what is it? And do you understand it clearly? If I can say this, the world has done one good thing, or one thing very, very well. I don't think it's a good thing, but it's done it very, very well is the world has been able to send you an incredibly uh, a huge amount of messages to you for so many years about what's truly important. So what it's done is this, it's created a disconnect in our lives to the point that we don't truly know what God thinks is important or what the promise of God needs to be in our life. God's desire for you today, men, is that the promise of God for your life is so ridiculously clear that you can walk out this place and not miss it. 
And then when you get to work tomorrow, no matter what goes on at work, you will not miss it. And when you get home and something's going wrong with your kids, you're not going to miss it. And when you come home after a long week of work and a long this and a long that, you're not going to miss it. Why? Because it's going to be in you. The greatest strength of of defining and determining a win for your life is when you absolutely know it and convinced of it in your heart. And that's the basis for faith. That was the basis for Abraham's faith. He had to be convinced of God's promise. I think where there's some confusion that comes in then is, well, what is God's promise? In other words, what's the goal for our lives? It's interesting that when you look up the Greek word for promise, it literally means this, the announcement of divine assurance. The announcement of divine assurance. How many need a little assurance in their life? Right? How many need assurance of the things that God's going to do in your life? Come on, let's be honest. How many men need that in the midst of the battle? Come on, we need that. We absolutely need that. God's heart for your life was that you would see clearly what God's promise is. There's a great misunderstanding uh, in our culture today about what promises need to be fulfilled in our life. So what happens is, is we actually get excited and put our focus and put our faith on the very things that God never intended us to do. Can I ask you something? In light of eternity, in light of eternity, what promises should you be pursuing? In light of eternity. Not in light of what's coming down the, the tube. Not in light of all the little news uh, clips that you're getting off your smartphone. Not in light of any of that. But in light of eternity, what should be the promise of God that you are pursuing? Because I'll tell you right now, as soon as you understand the light of eternity, a lot of the stuff that is fluff that's not supposed to be there is just going to, it's going to be obvious what's important. It goes on in that verse in verse 13, and it says, For God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. It's amazing here that that word right, and that actually the New King James Version says righteousness, it actually means integrity of character. Integrity of character. God's desire for you is to emulate to the future generations, your descendants, your seed, an integrity of character and a right relationship with God. That's it. Guys, if there's only one thing that you get for the rest of your life, if that's all you get, men, if that's all you do in your home is live with integrity of character and right relationship with God, you can ignore the last seven verses we're going to talk about because it's going to be irrelevant because you're going to get the last seven out of an understanding of relationship with God. The problem is, is too many of us are trying to achieve the promises of God without relationship. How many have ever had someone come to you, they don't know you very well, maybe they don't know you at all, and they try to bring correction into your life? And it's in that moment we ask Jesus to look the other way. While, while we deal with them in a very loving and forceful and aggressive manner, okay? The reality is, is God's desire for you, men, is to emulate what a right relationship is with God. Okay? Gary talked about something last week that I thought was awesome. I mean, there was a lot of things that he said last week that have just been reverberating in my heart and my mind for the last week. 
But he talked about the love for the house of God. I want to, I wanna, if I can challenge you this morning, um, without you throwing things at me, I want to challenge you with a thought. Could you imagine the life that our kids would have if we treated church like we did school? I don't feel like going today, Dad. You're coming. I don't, how many times have you had your kids wake up at 8.30 in the morning? I don't want to go to school. But you're sending them, why? Think about this. Why do we send our kids to school? That's just the right thing to do, right? They should get educated. I hope they're learning something at school. I hope, I hope, I hope. But the point is, is that there's a value that we have. It's called the value of education. And so what I want you guys to do is understand that part of a right relationship with God is a right relationship with what he loves, which is the house of God. Okay? So if you love God, you love the house of God. You can't divide the two. Uh, and I'm saying that today because I want, I want you to understand. And again, this isn't, I have a hard time saying these things because I don't want you to feel like, oh, you know, Pastor Graham's being a meanie again. But here's what I want you to understand. If you, if you get to a point where your kids are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I guarantee you right now, the chances of the opportunity to, for them not to come to church or not to enjoy coming to church, not to want to come to church, becomes greater and greater and greater the less we make it a, a priority and a value in your home. Love the house of God. There's some incredible statistics uh, that actually a Swiss research company did a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, and it was simply this. It was basically, here was the stats. If a mom was serving God, attending church regularly, and a dad was not, two-thirds of their children, by the time that they were 18, would not be in church. If it was opposite, and the dad was here regularly, and the mom was not, two-thirds of their kids would be in church by the time they were 18. Don't, please, women, don't take that the wrong way. But there's a, there's a divine order that God operates out of. There's a divine order. And when the man is loving Jesus and in right relationship with Jesus, loving the house of God, coming to the house of God, prioritizing God's house, prioritizing God, prioritizing worship, prioritizing the word, it's amazing what will happen with your kids. You're the thermostat, man. You're not the thermometer. You're the thermostat. Set the temperature right. Okay, all right. <sighs> that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay. Goes on in that verse in verse 13. There's so much just in this one verse, I could just camp here. It says, clearly God's promise, so that's what we had to focus on, is built on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. It's amazing the word faith literally means the persuasion, the assurance, the constancy and profession, the belief in the truthfulness of God. I want to challenge you men this morning that when God brings a word for your family, when God brings something to your family, a promise over your children, a promise over your marriage, a promise over your life, over your health, your finances, anchor yourself to that promise and do not let go. Be faithful to the promises of God because as you will, God will do amazing things. Romans 4, verses 14 and 15. So the next two verses, it says this. For if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. 
For if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and, pro- and the promise is pointless. As soon as I read that, I'll tell you, it jumped off the page at me as a, as a dad. How many times do fathers get frustrated when your kids do not obey? Come on, let's be honest. All you men that are lying, come on, come on, come on, come on. We get frustrated when they don't obey. Why? Because we take it as disrespectful. What is a core root issue for every man to be respected? Now, women, you can say that's kind of archaic and old-fashioned. That's just how God wired us. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, for some of us, we had a wife-changing experience last weekend at the encounter, so it was great. But for God's promise is only for those, if, for if God's promise was only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So here's my question to you. Can you have faith in the promise over that child, regardless of what they're doing right now? It says, well, you don't know what they do. Trust me, I've got five kids. I know what children are like. I could write a book, and my oldest is only 11, but I could write a book on how children can do childlike things and foolish things and everything in between. Okay, I, trust me, I get it. God's not asking you to carry the ministry of frustration. He's asking you to carry the ministry of fruitfulness and to believe in the promise of God no matter what you see. Because if you hold firm, the promise will come to pass. Okay? Goes on, verse 15, For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Okay, some of us, and I, I got to be honest with you, when you've got, you know, young kids, like for us at one moment, we had three kids under the age of four, and you have a lot of noise. And it gets loud sometimes, and you could lose your mind. It's in that moment you've got to hold on to the promise of God. Now, I'm not talking about don't discipline your children. Absolutely should have a disciplined home. Absolutely should get routines in place. Absolutely should have expectations. And if they don't meet it, then the full weight of discipline should come down on them, not out of frustration, but out of love and out of a belief in them that God has called them and God is going to use you to fine-tune their life so that they can be used of God. As Pastor Frank told me many years ago, we don't train our children to be loved because they're all supposed to be loved. We train our children to be liked. Right? So, Right relationship with God leads to a life of faith. Next verse, verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. The promise is received by faith. The direct word of the Lord is received by faith. The promise of what's to come with your children is to be received by faith. Okay? It is given as a free gift, and we are certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, for if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So the first question I had when I read that verse was, well, how do we have the faith of Abraham? Like, are we just supposed to uh, live communally in in a gated community and homeschool all our children and hide? Right? Because we don't want the world to influence us and we want the faith of Abraham and we don't want anything to come against that. No, even though for some people that seems like a great idea, um, it's not the way to do it. So how do we have the faith of Abraham? Well, God gives it away in the very next verse. Follow with me, verse 17. 
And I'm just going to read the very first part. It says, that is what the scriptures mean when God told them, I have made you a father of many nations. God spoke, Abraham believed. God spoke a promise, and the father in the house believed. God spoke a promise. The father in the house believed. The father anchored himself to the promise. Now the thermostat in the house for the atmosphere of the house has been set according to the promise rather than the frustration. And the whole atmosphere starts to change. Now the reality is, is how many know that the atmosphere in your house will not change overnight? Right? Some of us know our children all too well. Some of us know your children all too well. The reality is, is it's not going to change overnight, okay? So how do we do it? We, we hang on to the promises of God, okay? Thank you, Jesus. All right, okay. Here's the thought that I came out of this. God said to him, I have made you a promise. I'm going to put Cameron's paraphrase on it. I've made you a promise. I promise you. Reminds me of a song from the 90s. But anyhow, I won't get there. Ah, whose voice do you cherish the most? Whose voice influences you? If God said something, it's got to be good enough for you. It's got to be good enough. Because if it's not good enough, the enemy will gladly bring other voices into your life to mess up the promise of God for you. Okay? Abraham only needed one word from God, and that changed everything. Amen? And what's interesting is not only did it change him forever, it changed his descendants and his legacy forever. Amen? It goes on in the second part of that verse, and it says, This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. If I can just flip a verse here, I want to use the New King James here because it captures something that's so cool. It actually says in the New King James, God who gives life to the dead, And I don't want any show of hands, but how many situations in your house right now feel like it's dead and cannot be resurrected? The Bible says God gives life to those things that are hopeless. God gives life. And it goes on and says, and God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So look at your situation right now, and I'm not saying ignore the situation that's right in front of you. I'm not saying don't discipline the situation that's right in front of you. I'm not saying don't be concerned about those situations right, that are right in front of you to actually get a game plan and try to figure it out. But what I'm saying is, is look at that very situation that seems dead, that seems hopeless, that doesn't seem to have any ability to turn around and look straight at it and call those things that be not as though they were. Lord, I thank you for the destiny over my children. I thank you, Lord. It doesn't matter what they're doing right now. I I just speak forth the destiny and the plans and the purposes of God over their life. And devil, I tell you right now, take your hands off my kids. And I declare to you right now, the days of messing with my family are over. And you're not going to have your way. So many times we treat the promises of God with such indifference what God wants you to do is to look at things as the most precious 
thing that you've got. Nothing else measures up to the assets that are right in your home right now. And it isn't your 50-inch screen and your 50-inch plasma TV, and it's not your big comfy sectional couch, and it's not your nice you know, patio set on the back deck and your nice man cave that is in the basement. It isn't any of that. It is your children because that is where the legacy of eternal value is caught and lost. It's right there. It's hidden in the promises of God for eternity. I'll tell you, if there's one thing I've come to grips with, and I, it's amazing how God had to get something through my thick skull. And he had to do it publicly on my wedding day. But I'm so glad he did it publicly on my wedding day because if I didn't get it then, I would have never got it now. We're at our wedding. For those who were here this past Sunday night, you'll see that God just moved really incredibly in a prophetic way through Gary and Sheila. It was awesome. But on our wedding day, we had 10 people that stood around us, laid hands on us, and prayed over us and prophesied over us. Pastor Frank from OCC was the first person to pray. He grabbed the mic. He looked right at me. and He says, I want you to look at your wife. I went, okay. And for those who know, Sandra doesn't cry rarely ever, and I'm a blubbering mess. So I turn, I, you know, I hold her hands. I'm like, you know, the bottom lip quiver that starts happening. And you're like, I'm not going to pull it together. <laughs> it was one of those moments, okay? And he says, no, stop crying and listen to me for a second. No, he didn't do that. No, I'm just joking. But he said, I want you to look at your wife. I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to look at her. He says, there, right there, is your first and your last ministry. I got it, Lord. Your first and your last. So anything that comes from the fruit of that relationship is most important. That is precious because that is the promise of a legacy that God's desire to live and play out in your life. That's God's heart. Call those things that be not as though they were. It feels kind of foreign when you're in the midst of frustration. It feels kind of foreign when you're looking at someone that's not responding. It, it feels foreign. I'll be honest with you. Abigail right now, as sweet as she is, and she knows how to just wrap me around her pretty little pinky finger. But I tell you, she's having a little issue right now listening to mommy and daddy. Abigail, get over here. And I'm just like, I said, what's up? I said, you come back here, woman. She's like, and I said, Lord Jesus, help me to just get that attitude out of that little thing. And then, of course, she's like, but daddy, I love you. And I'm like, stop it. What do you do when the person that should be responding to your voice doesn't? There's only one solution, guys, is when you learn how to respond to the voice of your father. We get caught up looking down at why they're not listening to me. And I would challenge you and say, are we listening up this way? Because if there's a disconnect this way, there's going to be a disconnect this way. Okay? So get in the presence of God. I love what Ryan, I mean, I'm telling you, you got me inspired in pre-service prayer day. Ryan was praying up a storm. But he started capturing and tapping into something that... I think it's so significant for us when we can get in the presence of God and have a relationship with God. Every chain that has been on your life and on your family and on your, your, your legacy and on your, all this stuff can be broken off your family and off your life in one fell swoop when right relationship is there. Let's keep going. 
verse 18. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Oh, man. (laughs) Easier said than done, isn't it? Even when everything was speaking anything but hope, and we looked at the situation, and we kept hoping. And I thought to myself, Lord, why is it that Abraham could do that? Because there's times where I don't feel like that. There's times where I look at what I look at in the natural, and I stop hoping. Right? You know what I'm saying? Let's all be honest with each other today. And this is what hit me as I was thinking about this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Why? Because his hope, which for you to understand today, hope is a goal setter. Okay, it's saying I'm going to run 10 miles by two years from now. For me, it'd be like I'm going to run around the block in the next 10 years. (laughs) And if I can make that, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But hope is the goal setter. It's setting the goal. Faith is what gets you there. Okay? So he's saying here, even when there was no reason to set a goal, even when there's no reason to say, this is where we want to get to a year or two years from now. The key here is that you have to set the goal. Not according to what you see, but according to the promise of God over your family. So I don't set a goal according to what I see. I could see right now, I could see my children that have great gifts and great talents, and they're awesome, and I love them, that in certain things in their life, they're a little bit, you know, not taking something very seriously, not really plugging away. And I could look at that and say, come on! Do you know what I was like when I was that age? Is my mom and dad here? Uh, good. Okay, good. We're good. All right. <laughs> They're not here, so I can say anything this morning. <sighs> the reality is, is we were just like them when we were that age. And the only reason we were no longer just like them is because someone believed in us and set a goal, set hope out for us and said, I'm going to walk with you and believe God that as you have faith, I'm going to join my faith with you and I'm going to see the goal met and exceeded. The reality is, is every single one of us is here today because someone believed in us even though we don't deserve it. Someone believed in us. Someone looked at our sad, pathetic little lives and said, you're sad, pathetic, but I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to try to make you less pathetic and more prophetic, because that's what I'm going to do, okay? And I'm like, okay, why? Because the prophetic is tapping into the promise. The pathetic only taps into the frustration. The promise is linked to the prophetic. So the more that we get prophetic downloads from the Lord, the more we can speak and declare the destiny over our children. The more we get this, the more we give this. The more we get that, the more we give this, okay? All right. If our hope is off, our faith is going to be off. If our goal has been set at the wrong thing, our faith to, to make that goal is going to be off. Right? So hope is key. All right? Romans 4, the next verse, verse 19. And it says this. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. I think at 100 years of age, I don't think it's medically, clinically possible for you to have a child. 
Listen, I'm not a doctor, but that's just a good guess. I think it's a pretty safe guess, okay? So in other words, what was meant to happen was impossible. I'm telling you right now, guys especially, you're going to look at your situation and everything about it is going to say this is impossible. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work out well. Well, then right away, you're declaring the very thing that the enemy would want to declare over your family. You've got to change your confession because Abraham understood his confession. If my confession is in alignment with a right relationship with God and I'm declaring out of that relationship the blessing of God over my kids and over my wife and over my situations, over my finances, over my health, over my this, over my that, then something's going to shift. I guarantee it because now you're no longer in the hands of yourself to control the destiny of that situation. You've now placed yourself in the hands of God. And he's much better at handling that than we are. Okay? All right. Verse 20. Again, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And then in this, he brought glory to God. In this. I had a little observation. Um, To this point in the story... God has yet to intervene. Okay? So what often happens um, is we want a little bit of proof of the divine before we become all in to that promise. Right? The problem is, if we want a little bit of the divine to bring assurance, then in reality, we haven't left the starting gate. So, you know, the race is in front of you, and and, and there's still, you know, some, you know, I mean, you've ever seen the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon, but every mile and a half there's these water stations. So you can see the water stations ahead of you, and off in a distance you can see the finish line, but in actuality you haven't left the gate. Why? Because the Bible says that we don't live day by day by signs and wonders. It says we live day by day by faith in the promises of God. How many know that's difficult when you don't see something tangible, but all you've got is something in your heart? And here's what I wanted to say. God's awesome. So to Abraham, he says, every single morning you wake up in the morning, Abraham, every single place that you step, all those little pebbles of sand, see all those little pebbles of sand? That's how many kids you're going to have. And then when he lays his head down at night and he goes to sleep and he looks up, and for those that have been in the city far too long, when you're out in the country and there's no city lights around you, the stars are beautiful. Imagine back then where there was no such thing as any type of light. So when they went to bed at night, they saw the glorious wonder of God in the sky. And he says, count all the stars, Abraham. I can't count them. He says, that's how many kids you're going to have. Wow. So every day he had a, a tangible sense of the promises of God. And so, you know what, if you're at that place where you've got to hear something, you've got, you need something, ask God for that kind of tangible proof of the promises of God over your life. It's okay to ask God to confirm it. It's okay to remind you of it. Nothing wrong with that. He likes doing it. So you're, it's not a, a lack of faith to ask God for a little reminder. Right? That's good. Romans 4.21, verse, next verse, it says, He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. Huh. The ability to make something happen is not in your hands. It's in God's. The ability to follow through on the promises of God is in yours. It's called faith. We just have to respond. God will always fulfill his promise as long as we have the faith to unlock it. 
Romans 4.22, very last verse, it says this, because of Abraham's faith, God counted him righteous. I want to challenge you this morning, especially for those that are fathers in this house, I want you to redefine what a win is. A win is not having a whole bunch of stuff. A win, and I'm not saying don't be wise with your finances, but a win is not retiring with $3.75 million in your kitty so that you're going to live comfortably for the rest of your life. Although I do believe 100% that you should save and you should be frugal and you should uh, do all those things with your finances to make sure that you can retire well. But what I'm saying is this, is the win for you is not in what you have. A win for you is what you leave behind. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about your kids. What are your kids going to live out? What are your grandkids going to live out? When you look at the story of Abraham, every time it referenced Abraham, it always talked to him about the children's generation and the children's children's generation and the children's 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 generation. What was it talking about? Legacy never just has one, one generation and then it stops. Legacy has the ability to keep carrying on down the line. That's what's awesome about God. He wants the legacy of your family to travel down the line as often as it can. Now, I want to say this this morning because I know some people can hear this and say, well, my situation, you know, I don't have a husband's is there. I don't have this or I don't have that. And my situation isn't conducive for that. I want to say to you today, God knows your situation better than you do. God knows who he needs to bring into your life to help you. And God will do it. Every single person that is in this place this morning is living proof that not in, in every case scenario, it wasn't your parents that were everything for you when you, were, when you needed it. God brought other spiritual mums and fathers into your life to help you along the way. So God will bring the right people at the right time. Those books, I know I don't have one in front of me with me anymore, but the book that we handed to Corey and to Wayne, the title of it is basically How to Be a Spiritual Mother and Father in the House of God. Why? Because if you can all be a spiritual mom and father to somebody else, we're helping everything along really, really well. And no one's going to get stuck or lost or left behind. That's our heart this morning. I want you to define this morning what is a win. We know what a loss is. We read the statistics. Just turn on the news and you can see what a fatherless generation looks like. But what I want you guys to do this morning is I want you to redefine. Even this week, it could even be today. I want you to sit down. If you have your spouse, sit down and talk about it. If you're a single parent and you don't have that situation, I want you and Jesus to talk about it. Get those that are in your life that are spiritually mature, wise people in your life, sit down and talk to them about it and say, I want to redefine what a win is for my life. And Lord, I want you to help me see what is a win. Because there's nothing more frustrating than to get out into a game of hockey and to score on the, your own net. How do I know? Been there, done it myself. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when you try to rip a shot and rip it around the end boards and you actually put it in the top-hand corner of your own net, even though the shot was incredible. One of the best I've ever had in my life. And I was like, where did I find that Wendell Clark's slap shot? It was awesome, only to go into my own net. And then you realize in that moment, that wasn't a win. Um. I know that because no one wants to sit on the bench with me right now. Um, and so I'm just going to go hide in the dressing room somewhere and hope no one talks to me ever again. Too many of us are living a life without a clear definition of what a win is from God. I want to ask you, what is a win? I want you to be so confident with what a win is. It's holding on to the promises of God and living by faith and declaring over those things the goodness of God, out of a right relationship with him, that's a win. Because when you do that, 
out of a right relationship, the legacy will follow. You don't have to make a legacy. The legacy will follow your life. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless our, our, our dads, bless our men, Lord. Bless them abundantly. Make them feel just so incredibly loved and appreciated today. And, Lord, if you want to move on their family members to give them great things, then you go right ahead, Lord. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that this would be a day of celebration and of honoring our fathers. Lord, we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.